Welcome to Diverse, the podcast of the Society of Women Engineers. SWE supports the advancement of women in engineering and technology. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and SWE's blog, All Together, at altogether.swe.org. Looking for more information and data on women in engineering? Head over to research.swe.org and review the groundbreaking research that SWE has been conducting. SWE's research efforts include reporting on women of color in engineering and how community colleges may play a role in getting more women to graduate with engineering degrees. You can also check out the annual SWE Literature Review in SWE Magazine's State of Women in Engineering issue. Hi, I'm Heather Doty, FY21 President of the Society of Women Engineers. Welcome to SWE's Diverse Podcast Series. Please remember to add this podcast to your iTunes and like or follow us on social media. Visit SWE.org for more details. I'm joined today by one of our WE20 Mega Session speakers, Selena Resvani, author of Pushback and president at Next Gen Women, LLC. Selena's mission is to help women carve out leadership paths on their own terms. She also consults with employers on how to make work truly work for women by architecting culture change that improves working women's experience. She's the author of two leadership books, the bestseller Pushback, How Smart Women Ask and Stand Up for What They Want, and The Next Generation of Women Leaders. Selena addresses thousands of professionals each year and has been featured in Oprah.com, Inc., TodayShow.com, and NPR. Selena is based in Philadelphia, where she lives with her husband, Jeff, and seven-year-old boy-girl twins. Thanks for joining us today, Selena. Thanks so much, Heather. I'm really excited to be here. I'm really excited for your your uh, mega session, and advocacy is one of SWE's four strategic pillars. So why um, can you tell us a little bit why focus on self-advocacy specifically as a leadership skill? What does your research reveal about the need for this skill? Yeah, well, you know, I feel very lucky because I was fortunate enough to have this awesome education, and I don't mean a degree or or something formal, but but I got to sit down with 20 C-level women at the top of their game, right, leading really interesting large businesses. And I asked them as part of these interviews, one geeky kind of quantitative question, what percent of a woman's career success hinges on her ability to push back, right? To advocate. And I thought the answer would be affirmative, but uh, not quite this affirmative, 60%, they said. So while I heard about how important it is to be, you know, a strong people manager and have excellent technical skills, you know, and, and financial acumen, right? All these important things. What what rose even higher was that this ability to advocate, to make a strong case for yourself, and then back that uh, was higher, right? It was more meaningful and more important. So I think that tells a lot of us this is a, not a nice-to-have skill, right? It's a must-have skill. 60% of your career hinges on the ability to do this. Wow, that's, that's pretty impressive. Um... I, I know that there are everyday ways that we already advocate for things. Can you give us some examples of those? Yeah. You know, I think professionals are masters at this. Engineers are masters at it. You know, you're negotiating and advocating for your project to be higher in the priority list, right? You're you're negotiating for a client 
that they get that really excellent work product or scope creep. You know, maybe someone's asking you on your project to do 10 times as many things as is possible. So you're advocating all the time for time off, for your direct report to advance. What I find really interesting is, you know, helping women apply that same ferocious self-advocacy, you know, that they're doing every day to get it done and deliver excellent work. To, to apply that to their own personal needs, you know, their own personal needs, their, their money, their top pay, um, you know, a really great title, a better office. There are so many things to just to be staffed on the really great projects. And, and I think for a lot of us, those are the more challenging conversations, right? Not the everyday stuff, but the stuff that personally benefits us. Definitely. So what are some of the ways we can advocate more ferociously? I love that word ferociously for our mm-hmm. own personal needs. Yeah. Well, I want to walk through some of those best practices today. And certainly at my mega session, I'm excited to. But I like to get people thinking about preparing for these conversations, right? So doing their homework um, so that they can really sit up straighter and speak with more conviction and go a few more rounds with the other person, really feeling comfortable and confident, um, as well as being ready for some of the in the moment things, the dynamics that pop up, right? When you're in that high stakes conversation, Um, maybe you've done all the great prep, but there's some uh, in the moment things kind of developing. Maybe it's your body language, right? Maybe it's their body language. So that's one of the things I like to share best practices around. And the last piece is closing. You know, um, we have a lot more control over the pace and the outcome of a self-advocacy conversation than, than we think. And so one of the things I teach is how can you bring that conversation to a close, overcome those objections from the other person and get that yes that you really need. Awesome. So let's let's target an example. Let's say someone's getting ready to make a bold proposal, maybe for a new role at work. Um, you mentioned pre-work. What is some of the pre-work you should do before a conversation like that? Yeah. First of all, I'm really excited for anybody proposing a new role. I think it's so smart. And I actually think COVID-19 times, when there's lots of flux and change, is a really smart time to propose new work. Because guess what? Everything's not written in stone right now. You know, people are are entertaining new ideas and new ways of doing things. I think one piece of advice is a little counterintuitive, and it's to bring options to the table. So instead of just coming with one wonderful outcome, I would like a new VP role created where I can focus on, um, you know, engineering training within this organization. Come with multiple options. Come with multiple options. You can still have a favorite and lead with the favorite, by the way. But in your back pocket, if you face resistance, you want to be able to say, okay, I hear you saying no to the VP role. Would you consider? And this is where you come up with and share a few of your alternatives, your alternatives. Okay, um, a lot of us fear that if we do this, we're going to look wishy-washy or we're going to look not so committed to the first thing we asked for. But the truth is most advocates, most negotiators, they slink out of the room 
if they get a no, if they get that, that block put up. So don't be one of those people. Come with multiple versions of success. If you think about it, it's just like kind of solving a problem. You're much more likely to solve a problem if you come with more than one solution. And this is the same here. Maybe it's your third idea that's going to sit right with the person sitting across from you. So that's a powerful one. Definitely. Accessing that full trade space to talk in engineering terms, I think, is great. <laughs> um, what about what about in the moment when you're in the midst of this high-stakes self-advocacy conversation? Is there anything that's ex- especially important to do or signal in the conversation? I know you talked previously about body language, but that or something else? Yeah. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things because it's so important in one of these conversations that you signal to the other side, I 400% belong here in this conversation right now. You know, there's no one else in the world who more belongs here having this conversation with you than me. And I think that's really important. And our bodies reveal how much we feel we belong in that conversation. So my advice is be conspicuous, you know, take up space, right? Really um, embrace what your mama gave you and don't shrink down in your chair, but really take up that full chair, really use it as an exercise. And one of my favorite things has to do with your face. One is maintaining that really steady, engaged eye contact. Okay, so that even if you're making a, a bold request, you're keeping that eye contact. If you're seeing them flinch because they can't believe what a big request that is, you're keeping that steady, engaged eye contact. It tells the other side you believe in your idea. And the last one, uh, my favorite of all with the body language, besides bigging up right in your seat and you know uh, having that steady eye contact, is what I call an RNF, a resting neutral face, right? So um, a lot of us as women are conditioned to kind of put people at ease, right? And make people feel comfortable. Well, if you just got the worst, lousiest raise in the history of raises after an incredible work year, the last thing you want to do is, you know, put the other person at ease and nod your head and smile and look happy, right? You don't want to look like you co-sign that, like you agree with that. So a better approach is a neutral face, more of a poker face, where you're not revealing all your tells, how you're feeling, what you're going to do next. You're, You're playing up that neutrality. You're letting the other side wonder how you're thinking, what you're feeling. And that will often, believe it or not, um, kind of cause them to inch a little closer to your position. And and I promise you don't look as weird as you think you do with this resting neutral face. You look like you're deliberating, right? Like you're thinking about what you just heard. And those are positive things. Great, great advice. How about getting that yes answer we need? What can we do to make sure we, we get there? Yeah, you know, um, we talked a little bit about confidence, and I'd say this is another time you want to display your confidence if you're saying, hey, can I have that brand new VP role that doesn't exist today? And so one thing I teach is use assumptive language, assumptive language, and it's just what it sounds like. It's it's language that assumes a yes. Um, So 
you know, let's say you've just proposed this exciting new role. You might say something like, so when can we get started? Or, you know, maybe you hear an objection. You could say to them, hey, if I'm able to deal with X objection, do I have the green light? Right? These are assumptive and they create forward movement. Um, they, they encourage the other person to say yes. Another thing we can do that's assumptive is to ask people to do something on a trial basis. You know, I hear you telling me you're a little nervous about granting me this flexible work arrangement I'm asking for. Um, would you consider trying it for three months? Right? So a trial period is another way you can get that yes. So use the assumptive, confident language and, um, and you know, the other side's going to take it as a signal that they, they, that they should say yes. That's awesome. You mentioned a couple of these already, but maybe you have something else to share about advising how we get past the other side's objections to our proposals and plans. Yeah. You know, one of the things you can do is, is de-risk it. You know, we're all a little wired to keep the status quo, right? We're comfortable with it. We know it. So when you're asking for something new, it can feel shocking. It can feel like a really hard left turn um, and change. So I would say one of the things you can do here is connect what you're asking for to what's familiar to them. Is there anything you can point to? Um, maybe you're asking for headcount. You're saying, can we get a coordinator because we're about to enter a busy period? Is there somewhere else you could point to in the organization that's staffing teams just like that? Often when we do that and we give some precedent or an example, it makes people feel like, okay, this is not a shocking change. Our company does this. We just haven't done it in our department yet. So that's a, a good one. Um, the last quick one I'll say is, in some cases, you want to make the cost of, of acting less dangerous than not acting. Okay, so you're kind of making inaction the enemy here. So, you know, if, if you're advocating, let's say, for uh, a direct report to get a promotion, you really think they deserve that promotion, you might say something like, hey, if we don't give Heather the promotion, I'm really concerned what's going to happen with our department. It'll be the fourth person this year to leave, right? And when you do that, you're making inaction the enemy. It's safer here to act and give me a yes than it is to say no. Very effective. Uh, lots of great techniques and tips already. Um, maybe we can personalize this a little bit. Can you talk about a self-advocacy moment that was especially meaningful for you? Yes. And um, I, <laughs> I have many, but I think one happened to me as a young woman, and it's actually what got me fired up about this topic in the first place. Um, I, you know, like a lot of teenagers, I had uh, big dreams to go to college one day. I was really excited about that. I'm the youngest of four, though, and uh, I knew this was going to be a little tough for my family. Well, very suddenly, as a teenager, my father passed away, and we were, you know, devastated, you know, emotionally, and, and we were really struggling financially from that point forward. Well, college time came, and I applied to colleges anyway, knowing this was going to be hard, and I got into one. And they gave me a little financial aid. And my wonderful mom said, I'll scrape together the rest, you know, to cover it. Um, and, and I went that first year and I loved it. 
I loved it. And I remember getting the financial aid package for year two, and it was way, way small. And my amazing mom sat across the table from me and she said, honey, I cannot swing it this time. Like, I cannot do it. And I realized in that moment, if anything was going to change the outcome of this situation, it had to be me, you know, who did something. My mom, after all, had never been to a four-year college, you know, let alone argued (laughs) with a financial aid office. Um, And so I wrote this long kind of precious uh, appeal letter now that I read it um, to the financial aid office. And I said, give me every job you have. I'll do anything, whatever I could do to make this worth it for you. Be a tour guide, I'll work in the cafeteria, I'll do anything. And um, to my happy shock, they changed my financial aid package for year two to be more, to cover more, um, and not just for year two, but for year three and four also. And what I realized in that moment was that in life, you can have wonderful supporters and, you know, champions and loved ones who are like rallying for you, you know, for you on the sidelines, but nobody is going to ask for you. You know, nobody else is going to do that for you. And it's really on you to be your own number one vocal self-advocate. And so that was so instrumental for me. And it's, it's really a mission now to help other women do more of that in their lives. That's amazing. I, I really like that example. It was great. Um, how about Thanks. a fail? We're always saying in engineering that you learn as much or more usually from failures as successes. Would you share something you've learned from a non-successful negotiation? Yeah, you know, um, I I certainly have plenty of fails, and you're right; they're like more instructive than successes in some ways. I was, you know, uh, working really hard on my brand about six or seven years ago, and I was focusing on women in leadership and getting some good traction. When I got a really exciting call, it was a tech company, and they said, "Hey, Selena, would you interview to be our global spokesperson?" And I was like fist pumping silently, so excited at this totally out of the blue call. And I went to the interview and in my ideas and in my dress and in my kind of demeanor, I I really gave them like the Diet Pepsi version of me, you know, not the full color me, but this muted kind of more drab version of me. And so I wasn't really surprised when I got one of those polite emails after the interview that said, hey, it was great to know, you know, get great to get to to know you, you know, stay in touch, but we're going to go another direction. And I learned so much in that moment um, about representing yourself, making your presence felt. And something else happened. As upset as I was about that, there was something. I took literally in their decline email and they said, stay in touch. (laughs) So this is kind of a story of turning a fail into a win. But I actually pitched them a few weeks later and I said, hey, I totally get your choice uh, in this situation. But what do you think about partnering on this other kind of project? And they said, yes. So I think what that taught me 
um, was that sometimes when you have a fail, if there's something you can do to rewrite the ending of the story, if there's some control you have, you know, have the last word, you know, don't just settle for the no as the permanent ending. See if you can go back and negotiate for something better, something more. Fantastic. What single mindset shift would you like to see more self-advocates make? Yeah. You know what, Heather? It's like a lot of people think it's like a ninja move. You know, it's like a slick <laughs> move that, you know, is that ultimate thing. And, and the fact is, you're right. It is a mindset shift. It is a mindset that differentiates the best negotiators and advocates. And what it is, is pretty foundational. It's that they see everything as up for discussion. You know, they see everything as open to revision, not a rule, not black and white, not written in stone, but really the opposite, you know, open to be discussed, negotiated, changed, edited. And that's what I'd want to impress on people. You know, you don't need to live with suboptimal, you know, this stinks kind of terms and conditions in your life. It's okay. And I am encouraging you um, to make those bold requests to make it better, right? To, To be more comfortable, to lead with more authority, whatever it may be for you. That's a great suggestion for a mindset shift. And, and with that, we're kind of wrapping up here. So I'd like to know what is your final thought for today? You know, I'd say change your relationship with the word no. You know, um, tell, don't tell yourself no, for example, before they do. If you have something exciting you want to propose, don't tell yourself no before they do. Um, and realize if you never hear no in your career, you're not asking for enough. You're not pushing your edge hard enough. Okay, so if and when you get that no, wear it as a badge of honor, right? That you're being brave and get back in, right? Get right back in and don't be afraid to be tenacious to say, okay, I heard you say no to that. How about now? How about under these slightly different circumstances? How about with this different timing? And go back and ask five more times. So that's it. I'd say, you know, be bold. Go for it and and pull other people up with you as you go. Fantastic. Selena, thank you again for taking the time to speak for us today and providing some really valuable insight for our current and future engineers and leaders. I can't wait for your We 20 mega session. Oh, thanks so much, Heather. This was really fun. I'm Heather Doty. For all of us at SWE, thanks for listening.